Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. We are back on the regular feed after our shorts episode with Fiona Watts. Big shout out to her for jumping on the pod again. Been an absolute crazy week of content to be honest. After a little break, I feel like we can go into it a little bit more detail now. Matt, unfortunately, was a bit under the weather and I had a lot of commitments outside of football and within football. So we were, last week was a little bit not great timing for us. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. We do apologize. We weren't with you on the fortnight on the dot as we usually are. We have been, I'd say for the last year, we've been pretty consistent, Matt, haven't we? Like, are you, hopefully- yeah, yeah. I actually think last season we railed it in with the consistency. <laughs> so, like, we're allowed off days, and I think for the first time ever, Front Page Dub has had some off days. Yeah. Well, look, hopefully it's not an off day today. Hopefully we kind of hit everything that we kind of really want to talk about. Yeah. But um, just moving into it as well, Matt, I did say you have been sick. How are you? Oh, look, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I, uh, I did well for the, uh, Fiona Warts interview. So, uh, Warts, Wurtz. Oh, no, I've done it now. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, um, I think the dub is the one competition that I'm getting a lot of being worse than Australian. Of course, the dub is the one competition I'm getting a lot of joy from, uh, for obvious reasons. So always happy to, always happy to chat, uh, given the current circumstances. I want to make sure I remember that words, Fiona words. I will issue a public apology for getting that wrong. Not just to her, but for years at home, I do usually pride myself on my pronunciations and considering it is an English name, an Anglo name, I, I'm kind of embarrassed that I got it wrong, let's just say that much. But look, we will move into the actual dub action. There's been plenty since we've been off. Obviously, the Matildas have played in the meantime as well, but just focusing solely on what's happened in domestic women's football in Australia. Western United, Wanderers, two weeks ago on the 25th. Wanderers getting their first win of the season. We're going to talk a little bit about them later on in the episode. And I believe it was the top of the table clash when this was played. Wellington Phoenix beating Perth Glory, or it became a top-of-the-table clash afterwards. Not too sure how it works, but it was a very good game. Wellington continuing their very good home form. Melbourne Victory getting a win over the Mariners 2-1. Newcastle Jets 4-3 thriller um, in Canberra. Melbourne City seeing out a 3-2 result over Sydney FC. Uh, late comeback from Sydney FC made that game very, very interesting. Brisbane Roar and Adelaide getting a one-all draw on a very, very dodgy pitch. And that's probably putting it lightly. I think they weren't playing on grass. They were playing on clay. Might as well be, um, what's the, uh, tennis tournament in France that they play on clay? The French Open. It's just the French Open. I thought it had a fancy name. Oh, uh, hold on. You're thinking of Roland Garros. I'm thinking of yeah. Roland Garros. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Might as well be playing Roland Garros. Anyway, we'll move on to the most recent round that is, um, played in the A-League women's. Western Sydney Wanderers, 3-0, that was quite a performance from the Wanderers. Like I said, we're going to be talking about them later. Western United getting the win over Adelaide United, 3-1. Uh, Kat Smith's debut, which we are going to get into just after this. Perth Glory beating Melbourne City away from home, 3-1. And a 2 all draw between Wellington Phoenix and Melbourne Victory. Canberra and Brisbane Raw, 5-1. Canberra finally hitting their stride. And Sydney FC, the late Courtney Vine show, Sees a 1-0 win over Newcastle. Lots and lots of action in the last couple of weeks. Matt, what stands out to you? Everything. All of it. Um, I don't blame you. It is nuts. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, think about all the different narratives we've got playing out just in terms of sort of the Jets showing their supremacy with some of their really good signings that we don't actually know how long the Jets will sort of have those players around, how long they'll sort of be in that mode for. 
Um, you know, Brisbane's downfall under Alex Smith probably pre- pretty fair to say that you could ex- could have expected that to come. Um, the supremacy of, of this Perth side to go away to Preston to uh, to Melbourne City in pretty harsh conditions. It would have been you know freezing cold. It wouldn't have been easy to sort of go out there in the fashion that they did. Uh, and they've managed to get Millie Farrow, who's who'd only scored one goal previously, to go out and score a hat trick and uh, and make City look pretty stupid. So I mean, there was yeah, there was a lot. Canberra scoring five. We know that uh, a lot of their sort of DNA is to be a really attacking side. So. To see that pay dividends as well was brilliant. I mean, Cody left, right, and centre. There is so much to uh, dissect there as well. Maybe some questions of Wellington, how they handled that victory game as well. I think, um, you know, if they're more of the champion team than some people make them out, maybe they do a little bit better there. But then again, that's probably me being harsh on Wellington, as as is now uh, commonplace across the, the front page football network. And also, I guess... Yeah, just uh, just victory as well, and, and the way that they sort of um, didn't really take the full three points from, from that game as well, maybe some questions. But yeah, just a lot across the board that we can talk about. We are actually recording before the main Front Page Football weekly show comes out, and Matt, there was actually a public apology to you for all the shit that we gave you about your criticism of Wellington, because we do need to remember, you are our resident Oceanian football enthusiast, so if there's anyone that's qualified to talk in depth about Wellington Within front page look, football, whether it's men's or women's, it's you. Let's not go there, because I think the criticisms that were labelled at me are still pretty valid. Like, I came out with a very sweeping statement at the time, and whatever. We don't need to bring it up for, like, the four billionth time. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, you know, Cody. Um, I think the, the Knicks women's program is, and, and the men's program as well, are about to go through a very, very interesting time with another professional team on their doorstep, so... I don't know. I'll just, I, I think, um, their DNA to sort of produce more is going to, it is paying dividends. And I think, um, you know, to have more of a youth focus in, in the way that the club is going, it's not bad. Um, but let's not forget, Cody, <laughs> that was a bit of a crass over exaggeration to a comment about like 60 minutes of a football game that they couldn't finish off against victory. So, <laughs> so I think if we just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> oh, look, that's, that's fair enough. I'm going to track it back to what I, th- Stands out to me. What I think stands out, that's probably... Getting my mix, words mixed up there. Um, big day today at work. As you can tell, I am kind of tired, even though it's not even 7 o'clock yet. But Canberra United, uh, the second best attacking team in the competition. Still got some games in hand to, games in hand to play. But f- finally, I don't look as silly saying that they were going to have a really, really good season. So hopefully this is a platform to, for them to kick on. Vesna Milivojevic, I don't know if there's actually been a game where she's, I don't know, there's probably been games where she hasn't scored in, but there hasn't been a game where she's been like anonymous this season, which is absolutely nuts. I think now if she wasn't playing for Serbia, you'd start saying, okay, is she in the Matildas conversation? Unfortunately, Serbia recognised that talent a lot earlier. Australia's loss is their gain, but we still have her on our doorstep and we still get to watch her week in, week out. So who's really winning in reality? Um, We'll move on to some of the topics that we're going to talk about. And because well, we have... quickly to say on oh, that. Sure. People rightly praising Vesna for what was an incredible performance. I think the bigger talking point, and again, no disrespect, I just think that it, it's very clear that, that with um, sides getting exposed by Canberra's attack, they're going to pull out results like that. Like, I don't actually think it's... It, it's all the all the focus should be on Canberra. I know they've just smashed five. I know Vesna's scored a hat trick and, and so on and so forth. But... 
can we actually just talk about the fact that Brisbane, a side that started the season by beating Sydney, beating victory, were a very hot topic, have fallen off a cliff, had this sort of internal dispute that seems to be happening more and more in Australian football with some of their management. I mean, Cody, there is, for me, it's more like how Brisbane were exposed than it was Canberra have really shown that upside because they'll show that upside more throughout the season, I think. Yeah, look, it's interesting looking at how Brisbane's runs kind of gone throughout this season. They had two really good wins to start the season. They've gone to one of the toughest away trips in the league at the moment, lost to Wellington Phoenix very closely, to be fair, and then drawn to a Mariners side that is starting to build something quite well at home. They've decided to make a managerial change, which I'm not 100% sure why they have, and I know we've discussed it before, but it's becoming really prevalent that, okay, maybe this wasn't really a great choice, but you've had a loss at home to Weston, uh, draw at home to Adelaide, which I guess you can talk a lot more about then if they were just playing badly or not, because like I said, may as well have been playing a Roland Garros that day. And now they've gone to Canberra. I'll bait away from home, but that is, and as for as good as what Canberra have done in that match, particularly, it is a very embarrassing defeat. I don't think we can kind of it sugarcoat is. that. No, it is. It is. They've been, they've been exposed and I, I'd hope that there's some sort of response being cooked up soon. Um, and I don't want to say it's another I told you so moment because I just sort of expect this Brisbane side to be very mid in their expectations. And I don't know, did, did this result prove me right? I, I don't know. I don't know if it, I, it's I not prove you right if you're saying they'll admit this looks like they're just really, really bad. <laughs> but it's, um, I, I think it'll be more of a consistency thing. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. We don't need to go full sort of, um, crisis maybe anything like that obviously and we don't really actually need to focus on them that much i just i for me i just feel like there was because i watched dub zone and that you know i felt like the media space was not talking about brisbane at all in the aftermath of this and i understand what's what's really good and what's happened from the canberra perspective and why you should point it out but there was just no mention of brisbane at all and i, I think that's odd because losing 5-1 like you want to talk about that you want to talk about the, the reasons as to why that happened so well, look, I think it's going to be a topic for the next dub, uh, not dub zone episode, the next front page football, front page dub episode. That's, that's where you're getting your early women's talk. That's, we, we, we are happy to talk about the negative topics, I guess, in a way, but you look at the next three games, they play an informed Wanderers and then they go away to Sydney and Melbourne City. For all we know, look, that Melbourne City game is being played around Christmas. We've probably got to work out between ourselves if we're going to be recording in Christmas, but there's a good to fair chance we could be recording after Brisbane go for matches in a row, losing, because that is a tough trip, tough set of games, sorry, coming up for them. And God knows how that's going to turn, how that's going to turn out if they don't turn things around very, very quickly. But we'll get on to kind of the pieces of news that have happened over the last couple of weeks. What I want to talk about before we kind of went on that little tension about Brisbane Raw, but Marcel Carset has left West United, Cat Smith's come in, got a win to start. Her, um, I guess, new chapter in her career off. But, um, Matt, I don't know if we've actually really had a chance, even off camera, off record, to kind of no. discuss this because this is, I guess, look, you don't want to lose a uh, coach with the quality of Mark Takar. So he does bring something to West United. He brings something to the league. The story that he was able to produce out of West United last season was fantastic. And yeah. rightfully so, we got that opportunity to coach the Philippines women's national team. Yeah. But how much of a toll can it take on a coach when you're trying to balance both roles. Both of them have their own sets of demands. You've got competing uh, competing priorities everywhere you look. 
and looks like he's decided to make the choice that, okay, I need to give everything I can to the Philippines women's national team. That's where my focus is going to be. And while my focus is there, I can't give everything to West United. I don't know what you think, but that for me is a decision that I can very, very truly respect. Yeah, look, I, I think it's interesting because obviously I've had the pleasure of talking to Mark three times this season, four technically, um, and I could have sworn when we're in camp for the Philippines, he, he, that was not a man that was about to jump ship at Western United. He was he was talking to me and some, some A-League reporters about Western United. So the, the decision sort of probably came... I don't want to say like secretly, but obviously like it's something that he was mulling over, but didn't didn't want to give a, a shade of it. And and I ha- I had some very senior reporters talk to him. We we just had no sign that that was was going to happen uh, when we were in Philippines camp with him. The other time I saw him, uh, the other time I saw him was when that team had just come off a really embarrassing loss to Perth on on, uh, on opening night. And uh, um, it's fair to say that he was he was. He was very sort of uh, provocial in sort of wanting to um, blame certain elements of, of what was going on sort of across the board um, and, you know, blaming a lot of external factors on that night. And he was just very sort of generally quite frustrated. So I don't think, uh, Cody, I don't, I don't necessarily think that, that this is one that we can deep dive into too much because I think you've actually sort of summed it up very well there. You have the responsibility of taking a side that's won a game at a FIFA World Cup through their next sort of passage together. You have players that at Clubland, we don't know what they're doing. A lot of them are sort of still at that collegiate level. A lot of them are trying to break out. You know, Serena Bolden's just managed to sort of find another club after like however many months out. So that should be, that that realistically should be a priority. Try and get a more professional base um, and a better standard of football at the Philippines than, than having domestic duties elsewhere. I also think that with Cat Smith, Coming in at Western United, we also have a very experienced head and someone that is willing to do like a lot for that team. And she's, she's spoken so, so proudly about how much it meant to sort of have that opportunity after everything that kind of led up at the Wanderers as well. So I think it's, I think it's a very, very good appointment. Um, as far as Mark is concerned as well, great guy. And, and I think he's, he's obviously making a very sensible decision here. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. That's. Like I said, it's a decision you can only respect. It's sad to see him go, like I said, you don't want to see the league lose quality coaches and quality people like that as well. I've only, I can't say I spoke to him because I never actually asked any questions in the post-match press conference after the A-League Women's Grand Final last season. But just being in that room with him and even when he was pressed about the fact that they technically should have had a home final and it wasn't, it was played in Sydney, albeit Western Sydney, he did seem to kind of brush it off and go, you know what, this is the guys we've dealt with, we just got to do what we've got to do. It seems like a very stand-up guy. So, like I said, it's, it's not the sort of personality you want to lose, but he's got to make a decision that's best for him, and he's got to make a decision that's in his best interest of who he's looking after. In reality, him leaving Western as much as they lose a quality coach, it allows them to have a coach, whether it's at the standard of Torcaso or not, that is going to be able to devote themselves 100% to the club, and really, that's what the fans deserve. Speaking of that coach coming in, Cat Smith, we've obviously spoken at length about maybe not her departure from Warner's, but how it all kind of came about. Because obviously we said it at the time, it was a massive shock. I did, I personally didn't see it coming at all. Robbie Hooker came in. Things are starting to pick up now, but you look at how Western Sydney Wanderers ended 
their season last season. And Cat and Kat Smith was showing signs of really being able to build something and showing what she can do at an early level. And I was really excited to see what she could do this season. I was really disappointed to see the league lose a coach like that. So to see her now come back into the league at a club that she has spent time at previously in her home city as well, that it's a nice little storyline as well, but I think it's also a very sensible appointment from Western United when you've got a coach that probably couldn't give 100% to you and there's a coach waiting in the wings that is ready to give 100% to a football club. Exactly. You take that in and you're going to harness that as well and there's very clearly a quality coach there. Yeah. No, I think I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head though. Cat Smith is someone who's just willing to give so much and I think, you know, saying the quiet part out loud here, as a female coach, she has so much to prove um, and I don't think there's anyone who would sit there and be like, oh, that kind of sucks if Cat Smith has a lot of success and turns around Western United season. Who would be disappointed about it? <laughs> who would? It's going to be um, their first Probably season. Melbourne Victor, a Melbourne City fans who don't want to <laughs> see a City rival doing well. <laughs> it's it's going to be their first season, hopefully, in a post-January sort of world. It'll be a their first season at Tarn 8. It'll be an opportunity to get, you know, the Hannah Keynes of the world firing up again and sort of bring that team back to where we thought they were building. You know, all that big four rhetoric I was on about last season. Um, you know, like, I just really want to see see that message work out. And I think for Cat Smith as well, to go from a wondrous program where things, okay, I don't want to say that things were kind of falling apart, but they were certainly by the wayside. And you get, almost get the complete opposite with Western United, Western United at every single opportunity as a sporting organization are wanting to prove their worth at every cost. And that's why it, like, it's a match made in heaven in that way, right? I'm not saying that this team are going to be bolted on as a success, but I'm just saying that with the values of what you get at Western United and Cat Smith's personal values as someone that's always willing to prove herself and has come from a really hard working environment in Western uh, City where you're not guaranteed everything to one where she will be very well looked after. I, I hope it really, really works out. And I think, like, again, pretty much everyone unilaterally in the community is, is hoping that this this has a very long story to come uh, behind it. It's interesting when you look at it because, obviously, we're looking at this appointment in the sense of Tokasa is not able to give everything to Wesley United. Cat Smith's going to come in and kind of set the club on a bit more, give the club a bit more consistency and set them on a path where they can be successful again. One win... She's got them up to fifth. They were, considering how we're kind of talking about this appointment, you think that Western United are maybe not in crisis mode, but in a position where they are kind of struggling. But when you look at it on paper, they do look like they're doing quite well. Obviously, last season set a very, very high standard, and maybe maybe this is a sense of that's where they want to stay consistently. But that's also a hard spot to kind of stay in when you've got the likes of your Melbourne cities, your Melbourne victories, your Sydney FCs to compete with. So where they are now, probably by Western standards, long-term isn't a bad spot. Obviously, it's outcome because they were able to get the three points in Adelaide this week. But I don't know. I don't want to say it was an overreaction because it definitely wasn't, especially considering we don't know what happens behind closed doors with Tokaso. But I guess what I'm trying to say is what have you actually made of Western United season so far? Because... You can look at it on one hand and go, they're nowhere near where they were last season, but you can look at it on the other and go, they're still in the top six, they're still in the finals race. It's yeah, not they, that they bad. have they have a springboard to sort of redevelop things um in terms of this season alone, which is good. But as I kind of touched on with uh, Fiona yesterday, uh Cody, the league is an absolute 
mess at the moment. I don't actually think there's any standout teams. So as a result of there being no standout teams and, you know, Perth's success literally coming off the back of the fact that there's consistency in the team more than anything else, uh, I think it sort of tells you that the benchmark and all you need to really succeed at the moment in the dub is consistency and belief. And if Cat Smith and West United can blend that together, they may be looking at a semi-finals appearance. I, I wouldn't see why not, right? Um, especially with the expanded finals and, and some of that, so much of that going on. So yeah, but but I, I I honestly I sense at the same time that if it's kind of a, a mid-table season and one where you're in a final and you lose it and that kind of thing, you'd almost have to, in, in a way, at least at the boardroom and administrative level, you'd almost sort of want to label it a bit of a disappointment that everything kind of went the way that it did. But again. As we pointed out, it's a salvaging act because because they started so low and, and on their expectations. I just think that like so many clubs at the moment in the competition, they're going to show their upside and they're going to be in a bit of a free-for-all. Thinking Mariners, thinking Brisbane, you know, even thinking Adelaide when they can eventually show us some of the quality that we know they have in that 11. So many of these teams are going to look really good some days and I think other days they're going to look absolutely horrible. But that that is literally just the nature of the competition at the moment. We're even seeing it with City and Sydney and Victory, and we thought these were absolute powerhouses that were never going to be dethroned, right? So, I don't know. I, I just think that you have to just sort of maybe give this a bit of a, bit, a bit of time and, and really wait for the more reflective part of the season to, to kick in before you can say much more. But also, also something else is that teams in the dub are untested in that this is the longest season ever, right? It's a full home and away season. Um, and I do wonder what effect that'll have on, on certain teams and Certainly, like, most fascinatingly, Wellington and Perth, given that they've started so well. It definitely will be interesting. And you want to talk about consistency. Um, you mentioned Hannah Keane earlier as well. If she can get her firing on a consistent basis, Western are definitely going to be looking very, very good. We'll move on. And you did mention Wellington as well. And there is something that I think we need to talk about with Wellington. Chloe not announcing, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago now, that she will be stepping down this season. West Wellington's vice-captain. So it's not exactly a squad member that's struggling to keep up and not we, getting much sorry, reward did out we, of it. I'm pretty sure we recorded and touched on this exactly when the announcement was made. I don't believe so. Did we not? No, we did I didn't. swear we did. I, I swear we didn't. <laughs> well, either way, I don't remember talking about it, so we're going to talk about it now. We definitely haven't spoken about this in depth. Okay. The reality is, this is a topic that we've spoken about a fair bit. We would have had that conversation maybe with um, players like Claire Quello. Um, I think there's a couple of, there's been players in the past that have had this issue, to be fair, where they have struggled to balance full-time work commitments with A-League women's commitments. And obviously the financial side of the A-League women's isn't exactly where it needs to be. But we're looking at a player in Chloe Knott who is very highly regarded at the club, clearly considering she was a vice captain. And how this situation's kind of played out is kind of messy. And I don't think that's something that's been discussed, not just by us, but at all. You have her... No, originally, it was Wellington announcing that she was leaving the club due to financial commitments. Then she kind of came out and had maybe some indirect words to say about her time at the club. I'm going to pull up her actual statement in a minute. And then I think this was kind of breezed over as well. And I don't know how much or if I'm reading into this too much, but Riley Foster was on camera with Dubzone praising the hell out of this, the um, facilities and everything at Wellington Phoenix saying it's the most professional environment she's ever been in. 
And it's just some of the comments that she made kind of in that time saying like, yeah, there's the money issue, but every, you're going to, you face that everywhere you go, yada, yada, yada. It did kind of seem like that was a firing, a parting shot at Chloe. Not, I'm not sure if you saw that at all, Matt, but we'll start with kind of the beginning of it. Um, Chloe not having to leave simply because she can't balance work and playing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a, that's a mess in itself, isn't it? I think, I think we've, we've, we've sort of been touching on these areas before in, in the history of the show. Cody, it's probably I why think, it feels like we've talked about it before. We technically yeah, have. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure there's much more to, to really add though. Um, you know, we want women's football to be at a higher level. We want sort of the pay to be better and all these, all these arguments. I don't really want to touch on it too much from that perspective, but I, I am intrigued, obviously. And I, I recall your reaction at the time in one of our sort of group chats, just sort of saying like, this is a dig at Chloe Notton. I would, I would think that it's more or less a case of wanting to defend the lifestyle that you have as a player at the Phoenix. I don't think it's anything directly, uh, uh, uh Chloe not, but I think it is, it is certainly a statement of like, hey, you know, if, if you do want to be, uh, um, you know, reflective on, on kind of how far the game has come in retrospect, like, you know, th- this is obviously an environment that's the best it's ever been. And certainly for, for a, a side based in New Zealand, because, Two years ago, the club was formed. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, and and it's a foreign, it's a foreign player saying saying that as well. So I, I understand all of that, and I think maybe someone like Chloe Not, who's sort of been there since day one, is coming and expecting the standard to rise higher, and just had to question a lot of things financially going on in life. That that that's that all kind of makes sense to me. So I don't think it's the drama that you sort of see it as, but I do think that it's a worthy conversation of having, just in terms of how players are catered for and. And how they feel. And I think the more we sort of ask them and, and ask it of them, uh, you know, the more important, important thing it is. There's also something I might as well say on this, uh, just while we're sort of touching on it. There was, um, an article from, uh, from Fox where they actually sort of touched on wages across female sport, including the AFLW, uh, the women's big bash. Um, and they sort of just went down the list, the WNBL as well. And the, what's interesting about it is, in the most of these sports, and I think the figure that they had was in the range of sort of uh, thirty to thirty-five k at the upper end in terms of what you can earn in a, in a season or something like that. And of course, we have players. I know that the uh, what's her name, Monique Conti, who won the best and fairest for Richmond, also plays in the WNBL. Don't know what WNBL team she plays for, unfortunately, but I know that obviously there are. There's still a lot of examples like this. We we know because it's something that we've touched on before. There's a lot of cross-code players. Jenna McCormick, before she got her move to Spain and played for the Matildas and all that, notoriously was a cross-coder, also playing for the Adelaide Crows. A lot Casey of examples Dumont. like that. Where, hey? Casey Dumont. Casey Dumont has just just come back from a stint. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why Jenna McCormack is always the example in my head. I must I must say it constantly. I think it's one of the... She's probably one of the more famous ones. Even Ellie Brush, probably in that conversation. Ellie, Ellie Brush as well played for the Giants. Yeah, they were... I think the thing was that is that they were able to reach a very, very high level in both sports, right? And also, there's the very famous example of Elise Perry scored at a FIFA World Cup and is one of the greatest female cricketers. Actually, the greatest female cricketer to have probably ever lived. Um, uh, but... Yeah, I think to sort of touch on it, back to what I was saying about the wage. If you do, if you do the numbers for someone who's cross code, plus probably has another job working, I don't know, physio or retail or, you know, all of these different sort of sectors that, that uh, a lot of these players work in. Um, 
you still are kind of reaching a, a living wage or just what is considered to be sort of the the wage to reach the cost of living with what is technically holding three jobs when you consider that playing in both codes as much as we want to bill it as this is professional football, this is professional AFL, this is professional rugby league, professional cricket, so on and so forth. It, it, like you still are at the level where basically what these athletes are doing is holding like three jobs to get by. And when you, when you put it in that perspective, it's kind of fucked up. Right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I just, I think that, um, I think that there's, there's a very big argument to sort of have with the future of this and where it goes. And we know that sporting bodies are working as hard as they can, but you also, when you look at the state of, of A-League clubs, me having been, on the inside of one of them, I can tell you right now that they're working as hard as they can, but it, realistically, is there anything, anything more than what they can do? And that's where, from Riley Foster's perspective, when you see how far kind of women's football is coming and the environment that you're in now and how much you probably like the lifestyle being somewhere as beautiful as Wellington, you want to come out and defend that. And, and rightfully so, and she did. So I think there's two sides of the argument where Chloe Knott is like, completely spot on but so is Riley Foster they're both sort of telling the simultaneous truth of, of the state of the game um, and I think to say that it's a, it's a dig or that it's it's a like a big conversation starter of wall these Phoenix players came out and sort of said this in relation to what happened with Chloe Knott I don't think it tells the full picture Do you know what I mean so I, I just think it's a very very long tail in, in that regard no I, I get what you mean and look two things can be true at once especially when you know, you've been in the, the range of environments, I guess is the best way to put it, that Riley Foster has been in, whereas Chloe not, you know, you've just had a World Cup in your own backyard. I guess you do want to kind of see a bit of exponential growth or at least significant growth to where you were before, and maybe she hasn't got that. But still, like, when you look at some of the things she said when she left, uh, it is uh, no longer sustainable for me to continue. It is not a place where I feel fulfilled after being here from the start of... um was it from the start of the season? It's been clear that my values no longer align with the club or current management. It is important for me to be in an environment that prioritizes honesty, authenticity, and a genuine care for every individual in their development. Uh, I am at the stage of my life where I have the luxury to choose the spaces that are most conductive to me, experiencing joy, personal fulfillment, and growth. I, and I hope that this can be a catalyst for systemic cultural change within the club and particularly the women's game. So there's, I understand there's probably not a lot to read between what Riley Foster said in relation to not leaving, but you look at what not said on her own. There's some pretty scathing stuff in there for a club that she has spent a lot of time at and was just the vice captain of. It's kind of sad to see it end in the way that it has. I just, I, I, so much of this, and I'm being serious, so much of this is just personal interpretation though, because by all, by all means. No, I, de I definitely agree with that. The, the state, the state of not, affairs. You can't say that it's nothing. Yeah. The state of affairs at some of these A-League clubs is dire and does need to be talked about. But then like us as football people, we kind of go, well, we know the game has always notoriously struggled financially. We're willing to make adjustments. And when we make those adjustments, the lifestyle in the A-League can actually be really good from that perspective. So I, I, I just, what she's saying that what, what you've, what you've read from the statement, particularly about management, that's even more on the individual scale. Like what Chloe not thinks 
probably, you know, no one else in that team is, has had that qualm with the, the one individual or whatever she believes that is causing a, a problem. And when she talks about systemic problems, I mean, we touched on that anyway, right? Like, yeah, some people probably have to work three jobs to get by in, in the female sporting space. We know that. But like, like I'm saying, like it's, it's just, you can't really look at it. You can't really look at it too in depth. And certainly, Cody, I think from where people like you and me are sitting, we can't, we can't speculate. We can't say much more than that, but it is, it is an intriguing situation. Unfortunately, it's a situation we probably won't get a lot more information about just simply due to the nature of its sensitivity and all those kind of mumbo jumbo words that I should probably be saying as a qualified journalist, but sometimes I'm not serious enough to do so. But look, we will move on. Hopefully, Chloe, not whatever stage she moves into in her life, whether it be within football or out of football. Hopefully, she's doing well and, you know, looking on the outside in as well. It's hard to say Wellington are in a bad spot because they are also coming third. So there is some, they're, they're doing something right, at least on the pitch. But unfortunately, we don't necessarily, we aren't privy to the ins and outs of what goes on behind the scenes. We move on to a little bit of lighter talk. Serena Bolden, you mentioned her before. She has now come back to the competition and she is going absolutely ham in said competition. This was going to be a conversation we'd have last week if we were recording when she was off the back of that form. We are going to have this conversation off the back of her going game without a goal, but the fact that that's her standard now, it's hard to say that's not a bad thing either. This is beautiful because, again, of, of where I've sort of come from, where I had the absolute honest pleasure. Uh, I mean, Cody, like, Hundreds, thousands of people probably wanted to be in my shoes, but I had the honor of talking to Sam Kerr about Serena Baldwin. Um, and I don't know if you've actually sort of seen her response. It was very candid. It was very sort of orchestrated and she just kind of gave me generic comments, but it was very much a case of, of like, it is so good to see a product of the Philippines come through football and give back to us in a, in a very a very big way. And she scored this this great goal at the World Cup. Unfortunately, all the sort of razzmatazz in that moment was thrusted away by the fact that the Philippines got thrashed 8-0 by a, a pretty formidable Matilda's team in Perth. But, yeah, I, I think to, to say that the very, very top of the women's game can acknowledge the talent of someone like Serena Bolden speaks volumes to her position uh, you know, in, in our game and how crucial it's going to be. So I don't know how long she's going to be staying with the Jets. And I don't think that information is, is very public, is it? In terms of how long she's I thought it was meant to be the season. Well, even then, that sort of makes me want to ask questions. I mean, Serena Bond is obviously someone that, that came big on the scene with the Wanderers, had that whole fairy tale of Asian Cup and the World Cup and everything else. But I think maybe we should keep in mind that she she's, what, 27, 28 years old? So she isn't actually young. And that's probably the biggest thing that, that I would keep in mind in terms of her, her situation going forward. I also would say that, and I'm, I'm not being, I hope I'm not being too harsh here, but obviously her scope is limited in the Newcastle team um, where there isn't maybe as much talent there. But I will say that they obviously know what they're doing, uh, having Melina Reyes, having Serena Bolden, Having Emily Van Eggman for the, the the small stint that she'll be here, I don't know how many games she has left. Is it two? Is it one? I think it's I, just I the one. I think it's just the one. So, yeah, um, they better maximise all of that uh, experience while it's still there to hang around. And 
we'll see where their season goes. As I said, you know, the, the, the competition is very sort of open-ended. So if they can make more of it and sort of be in that hunt for the six, it'd be a good thing. But Serena's impact, I mean, yeah, it can maybe be felt at one or two other clubs. But then again, I don't, I, off the top of my head, I wouldn't know where that, where that club is for, for the moment. So we'll, we'll see what she has in store going forward. But for the Jets, I mean, yeah. Well, look, it's interesting because she did come into a Western Sydney Wanderers side halfway through last season where they were, let's be real, very, very dire. She came in, things turned around basically immediately the moment she got there. They pushed themselves up to seventh. And you're talking about a side that looks almost likely for the wooden spoon. So she does have ability to be able to come in and at least provide a focal point for a side. How she goes without the creativity of Emily Van Eggman behind her will probably be the biggest question we'll have around Newcastle moving forward towards the end of the season. But I said it too as well when this is just kind of a rumour of Van Eggman coming back. If she can kind of come in, set a standard that other young players and other players alike are able to kind of keep, even if it's for a few weeks afterwards and suddenly you're feeling that impact for seven or eight games instead of just four. It could do them quite well. And having someone like Bolden after Van Egmont leaves, he's still got someone who, you know, she isn't a young player at, at, by any means. She's someone that's kind of in the peak of her career, but has a fair bit of experience in different levels at different um, heights of the game as well. You're talking about someone that really can add in that respect, a little bit of experience to this side as well that they can take forward. They can, that can help them maintain a standard that someone like Van Egmond would set. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think if we're going to talk about Newcastle, one thing that probably we need to work out how it factors into as well, how they go moving forward. If Van Egmond, Gary, and um, senior Van Egmond ends up leaving the club because that's a bit of the word on the street now as well, where it looks like he, after the um, Sydney FC game, jetted off to China to do an interview about taking over their youth women's programs. I think with his experience, he'd be a good fit um, elsewhere across Asia, but we can't we can't comment much more than that. Um, yeah, well, uh, obviously, uh, I think um, even another sort of managerial change is made at Newcastle. That's pretty grim, right? Uh, because yeah. Gary Van Egmond came in to just sort of steady the ship, and if he's not there... Ship is, is going to sink, isn't it? Um, Especially, look, so. if he goes, um, Emily Van Egmond will probably be going at the same time if this is, say, both their last games. Suddenly, you're losing your most your best player by a fair way, your most experienced yeah, player. Just, you're talking about setting those standards. You don't have the coach there to keep it implemented. I think it speaks it speaks a lot to, to Newcastle as an organisation with the fact that they're okay to just kind of settle on things and kind of go with the flow sometimes. Um and that's what I guess upsets me is that like they've they've built this pseudo super team for like three rounds, right? But there's no there's no <laughs> no no succession plan whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that is kind of the way with Newcastle. Like I said, just under twelve months ago, now they're probably better letting a bunch of puppies run the club instead of playing. Matt, you're smiling. I know you know exactly what I mean. Uh, we will move on. Another. A little quick topic before we kind of round it out. Wanderers. I did say we were going to get to them. I think they deserve a little bit of attention right now because we quite rightly have been critical of this club a fair bit on this podcast since we last recorded. Uh, actually, in the, even in the last episode, we were talking about kind of those teams that hadn't done much this season, the three winless sides, and looking at how they were going to go that weekend after we recorded, I said Wanderers were probably the least likely to break their drought. And they were the only ones that won. 
now they've won two in a row. Their last game on Friday night was quite thrilling and some of the best football I've seen that Wanderers women's side play at least since the last year they made finals. But looks like Robbie Hooker might actually be cooking something. Then look, Matt, I know you are probably a little bit more critical of the club than I am. But sure, even surely you're impressed by what you at least saw in the last couple of games from an on-field perspective. Yeah, but again, what have I been sort of saying? And I'm I'm, I'm only going to be consistent with my my belief here in that the, the league as a whole across all 12 teams is a very mixed bag and there's going to be results where teams pull it in and, and perform quite well. It, it'll happen. Mariners, Brisbane, you know, the Wanderers, Adelaide, who haven't even done it yet. I'm going to go as far as to say, don't worry, they will. They probably have a 3-0 win in them somewhere. Right, so I, I'm, I'm sorry, and I know I know you want us to sort of say, yeah, the Wanderers are making really big strides, but well, I don't just, really want to say that if you don't believe it. No, no, it, because it's not it's not true. Like let, let's not let's not kid ourselves. Like the standards at that club, that program is fundamentally broken. Like in the same way that people that critique the political world talk about a failed state, this is a failed football program. Okay, like it's it like. Don't don't kid me with oh they won two games in a row, mate. They might even end up in 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 the six with how much of a mixed bag this season is. It doesn't mean doesn't mean that they have good standards as a team. And I I'm, I'm and again I I like I sincerely apologise to a lot of the good young talent in that team, and especially to someone like Amy Harrison who who we've spoken to. Administratively, that that team is that team is 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 sort of broken. And I I think I hope. <laughs> I don't hope they get found out, but I, I sort of am expecting there to be some some sort of giveaway with the quality of somewhere like Brisbane, where they oh, they arguably have things a bit more together, or a Canberra, where in the endurance of a 22-game season, the inaugural 22-game season, those teams find a little bit more that a club like the Wanderers won't have in the long run. But that's simply just because administratively, I don't like the way they're run. <laughs> Look, I definitely agree with the sense that you can't overreact with a couple of results simply because this league is very topsy-turvy and you never know what's going to happen week in, week out. It is, if I was a betting man, I would not be putting my money anywhere near the early women's because you just don't know what you're going to get. But in terms of what you've just said, and it's a question I'm going to pose to you, what would it take for you to really believe in what this Wanderer setup is trying to do? Because look, I've been fortunate enough, I've been able to speak to some people around the club. Yeah, it does look like there is a good vibe there. That's the, that probably the biggest compliment I can say right now. Okay. The players look happy. The coach looks like he's very invested in what he's trying to do. Obviously, I don't talk to like the the higher ups and the owners or anything like that. We're not that special, but everyone that I talk to seems to be happy in the direction that they're going. Whether rightly or wrongly, that remains to be seen. But what? You as an external person, someone that obviously isn't in the area of Western Sydney, what would it take for you to see from them for you to go, okay, yeah, there is something good going on here? I just think, I just think more emphasis on the program, um, more, more sort of outside off field dedication to the women's program. But I don't think anyone in the club in senior management has really showed that they care. Um, and it's, it's small, it's small things. It's the having a weirdly separate social media, almost as if to say that, that the women's is a different product when the whole point of the A leagues, as it was, as it was sort of co-formed was that it's, it is, it is fundamentally exactly the same thing. And I think the Wanderers don't want it to be that way, which you've already kind of lost me at that point. You know, like I don't, I don't understand that. Um, every other club does it fine. 
The integration with Canberra will be a very, very interesting one, given that it's actually the women's program that is the established club, and we've not seen anything like that, I don't think, anywhere in the world. Um, but every other club does this. Every other club does this just fine. Why? Why do the one groups not? And and I just don't. I just don't understand that. You know the the playing playing at a training ground in the heat. The the small administrative things like you you could have a team that is honestly like top four and bowling out. But it's it, it, if that approach to that kind of thing doesn't change, then I don't think the team is getting a fair shake. And look, I, I think the biggest thing is with the way that you kind of phrased that question initially to me, it, you actually have probably asked me that exact question on this show a year ago or two years ago. Or <laughs> no, I don't think I would ask it a year ago. If anything, I would ask it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, we've not been doing this for two years. So I don't know what I'm talking about. But I kind of have... I kind of have that image. Actually, actually just can I just stop you there? Because I think it'll be... Actually, I think it's about now. We're hitting around the one-year anniversary of our first episode of Front Page Dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I sort of phrased two years ago, though, is because when we sort of started and I and I had that really impassioned rant about the Wanderers, I was kind of thinking back to 21-22 where they were really sort of dreadful and... and a bit of a downer on that whole sort of campaign. And then the same thing happened again. And then we pulled the stats out and they hadn't won in so long. And there were guys from RBB TV even talking about it. You know, I just, I think that that's too much, too much in, inbreded in their DNA for anything seriously good to happen. But that doesn't mean that they won't be an interesting football team. And it doesn't mean that there aren't good decisions being made from someone like a Robbie Hawker, for example. Right. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I just think a big, a big fundamental shift would would have to really change with within the, within the club. For sure. Yeah, look, I, the separation of kind of the men's and women's socials did take me by surprise a little bit, and there was a stage where it looked like the memberships were going to be completely separate as well, where the membership for a men's wouldn't get you into a women's game. Before there was a bit of pushback on it, either that or it was just very, very poorly communicated about how the membership structure was going to look this season. So there are issues there where it does kind of look like they try to run it as separate programs, even though as much as sorry, sorry to butt butt in again, but also the whole uh, Canberra game getting cancelled when they couldn't find a venue. That that (laughs) also uh, that also is something that I think stems from there's not enough. Like they they didn't they essentially didn't care enough about the product to find the resolution in 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 a like efficient amount of time, basically. Um. And that again is just a sign of of a team. I mean, again, even with something like memberships, that's how you drive revenue at a football club. Of course, you should care about that. And again, they've treated the package of like this is the women's membership as like we're going to get a couple hundred people by these and bugger off with it. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't. It's just no no other club in the in the APL, or at least on face value, no other club in the APL is having that sort of approach. It's it's like fix it, like fix it, fix that up, and and start to sort of mend that relationship. They're not taking more seriously. Now, look, I think if there's one thing that I'd like to see from them, and one thing that actually could very well see from them soon, if and I don't know what it's like in Perth, I'm not 100 percent sure what it's like in Adelaide, but I do know in New South Wales, there's no club in the A-League, well, Mariners now do technically have it now that they've come into it, but no one does have an academy set up for them. Can I actually open up on what it's like in Perth? Because Because I had, I'll say the privilege of being the sole member of the press for a glory women's game, 
And I can tell you that it was treated with, despite the fact that it was just me and Jeff Hopkins and Alex Aparkas, the entire spectacle was treated with as much professionalism as a fully legit A-League men match. Okay. And, and Gareth even sort of, Gareth Morgan spoke to me afterwards and, and said, look, like, like this is a standard that we give that other clubs do not give. And, and that's actually something that's really important to understand is that if we want, if we want more unity with the product of the APL, it's not, it's not just the small things like memberships and social media. It is, it is the full package. It includes people like us who are there on the front lines who walk in with our accredited pass or our temporary pass because you haven't been given yours yet, Cody. Yeah. I don't know and what the hell's <laughs> going on with that. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we walk in there and, and, and I can tell you as someone that's been doing this for two seasons now, my, my match day experience is exactly the same across the board. And that's how it should be. And I can, I can, I, I don't know. I, Cody, I know you've gone to a lot of those games at, at the Wanderers, uh, training park, but I can, I can imagine it just fundamentally feels different, doesn't it? Look, in a way, I guess, but I also like the experience that I get at Wanderers Football Park. I don't actually mind being in the stands for a football match. I'm not someone that's overly excited to get into a press box and kind of sit at a vantage point and not basically hear anything that's going on outside because I've got a glass wall in front of me. I do kind of like being in the stand. So I guess it's also looking at, I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. Put it that way. Cause I actually don't mind that kind of experience where you are kind of sitting in the stands with everyone else personally, but that's just me. That's just me being different, but that wasn't at all where I was going with that tangent. Actually, I was more talking about kind of the youth setups where Sydney FC don't have say an academy that plays in the MPLs. Mariners do now. There is the Emerging Jets, but the Emerging Jets do kind of struggle, to put it lightly. If Wanderers are able to get that something like that implemented, I reckon that'd be a big plus that would show that there's a commitment from a high level to... What's, what's interesting, and I know it would be, it would actually fundamentally be very, very difficult for the Wanderers to do for obvious reasons, but a lot of the pathways for Glory actually come through Football West, um, which as a one-city one team, very easy to implement that unity between the state fed and and the professional team. Yeah, we've got Wanderers the Football New South Wales team, but I they do kind of get mixed around between Sydney FC, some go to Wanderers, some even go interstate, to be fair. Yeah, it, 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 the, implement, the implementation of that is obviously very difficult, and I, 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 I sympathise with, obviously, how they sort of deal that out. But having a team yeah, at sort of the MPL level is, is certainly a good way to sort of get the ball rolling on that. And, again, it's something that if you want to apply to be a member of the, the IPL, you should be doing this more across the board. I know that the National League structure in, with all due respect, with all due respect, and this is, oh, this is probably a massive claim, the National League structure in New Zealand puts parts of our state feds to absolute shame. The National League in New Zealand is an incredibly competently run football league. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, No, I, I don't because I don't know the ins and outs of the New Zealand Football League. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you expected me to say there. I don't know what the fuck goes on in New Zealand. <laughs> no, I, no, I just... I understand that obviously we have predominantly an Australian audience and that that like that is a massive claim to say that the National League uh, <laughs> compares to the NPL. Especially, especially as a Western Australian who doesn't see the depth of your MPL at all, like that is a massive claim. But, but, <laughs> but I, I still think that obviously it'll be very interesting. Um, it'll be very easy for a, an Auckland women's side to slot straight into that National League competition with how it's set up. Um, and I think that obviously it, it is very difficult for a club like the Wanderers in how they implement getting that structure involved with the unique depth and culture of somewhere like the NPL New South Wales. And I don't envy them 
But if they want to be taken more seriously as a program, you want to go and put something like that in place even even easier uh, than than some of these expansion sites and, and some of these clubs where there is more unity with the state fed that you would have in, in South Australia or WA. So I understand the challenge there, but again, if 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 they want that that seriousness as a program and, and a bit more respect across the board in women's football, put put it put the implementation of that in place. You know, there are hundreds of clubs in New South Wales that might be peeved off about it, but they're the wanderers, they're the professional organisation. They they have to put that in place. So for me, it's for me, it's a, a no brainer in terms of that conversation. Yeah, no, look, 100%. And Wanderers do have their, uh, Wanderers, they do have a program where they do get people between 40 and 16 to train regularly at the ground. And now they've got, I do know they have a few young train ons. Sydney FC, I think, are implementing something similar that train during the A League women's season. So that's kind of that environment around. But I guess there's small strides taken there. It's not an easy process and hopefully it's something that we do see in the next couple of years. We're going to start rounding out this podcast. With just to try and show a bit of love to some recent award winners. It's not something that we've done before on this show, but I think it's a good way, at least when these awards are announced, to kind of wrap up an episode. Now, we've had the A-League Women's Player of the Month and the A-League Women's Young Player of the Month announced since we last recorded. Riley Foster getting the Player of the Month. Um, fan voted as well. Took me a little bit by surprise, but it's hard to say that she hasn't had a big impact on Wellington Phoenix this season. And one of our favourite young players that we do harp on about a fair bit, and for good reason, Daniela Galic, Young Player of the Month. Matt, what have yeah, you made of the both their seasons? It's been a while since I've actually spoken. We, in have, we haven't done a lot of Galic talk lately, eh? I don't actually think we've jumped on the Galic train at all this season. I could be, could be wrong. I think we're just expecting of her now to be playing like crazy. Yeah, I, I think it's... um. It's not even that. It's just that uh, City have actually been a team that's been not so much in the spotlight as as they have previously, and the same goes for the other top teams as well. Sydney, Victor, and City as as like a, a trio have actually all had uh, a bit of stumbles across the way, but that's the nature of how the league is playing out. It's very very exciting, um, and it's good to see a team like Perth at the top um, who just sort of combine a lot of different elements of their culture to put the put the package together as a consistent unit. So. Tangent, <laughs> tangent aside, <laughs> um, Daniela Gallage, absolute bowler, and, and she's going from strength to strength. And, and again, you know, just one of those names that I guess, you know, with, with, it's a bit of a touchy topic at the moment with sort of the way that Gustafson threw a lot of those young players in the deep end and, and what that, what effect that would have. But surely it won't have been much longer before she, she, uh, and that's just really lovely to see that, that sort of talent paying off more and more, um, at a time where we know that the product is really strong. No, 100%. Seeing her ball out is one of my favorite sites in the A-League women's and Riley Foster as well coming in, really making an impact, like I said, on this Wellington side, easily one of the top tech, top keepers in the competition, arguably the best, but there is a high standard, I think there's a high standard of keeping this season as well. So it just makes her. Winning this award, kind of also, you, you have to give props because pretty powerful image for a foreign keeper to come in to be so outspoken, to be so loving of the culture of the league, and to get her own A League All Access episode like two rounds in as well. <laughs> so. Well, to be fair, there is a, there is a big story there that she's kind of gone through. I, I don't blame them for trying to get that out there. Yeah, like, yeah, no, I, I I agree. Uh, the whole sort of car crash and the recovery, her signing for Liverpool, there was a lot there for sure. But um, no, just a beautiful. Beautiful woman, beautiful sort of admiration for the product as a whole. And, um, yeah, we, we love having people like Riley Foster around and hopefully in the same way that, that male players of her persuasion sort of stay around. Quite literally, Philip Curto is still here after what? Five or six years. It's been and a we, while. We, we want to see, we want to see 
more of that in the women's game. Because we actually, the thing is, can you actually think of like a female marquee player that has really like had that full attachment? One that sticks out to mind for me was Dress Fishlock. And then even then, as the female game expanded, she ended up having a massive career in the US and stuff like that. So she wasn't even a hardened on A-League player, but she was around for ages. Even uh, Natasha Dowie yes. felt like she was in the league for a while and then she yeah. went was doing well at Liverpool. I think she's almost listed down as a legend of their women's side as well. Yeah. So the so fact that we had her in the league, you want oh, to talk about the oh, Hang on, how have we not mentioned Kayla Morrison? Kayla Morrison's obviously the very obvious. <laughs> she's a citizen now. <laughs> I was going to say, you want to talk <laughs> about the. So, so obviously someone like Kayla Morrison as well. Can you imagine if we had that conversation and just completely overlooked that? I, I, I honestly could have forgotten, to be fair, but I think it's just because we just assume she's Aussie now, and she, she yeah, is, so yeah. I guess there is that element to it as well. But if you want to talk about big marquees we've had in the league, we have had a keeper in this competition win the Ballon d'Or while she was a Brisbane Raw player in a Dean Nigeria. So we have had some big marquees in the past. Yeah, the, the I think the obvious distinction there being that the women's game has come eons uh, in its progression in the past. Of course, past, of course. So, but yeah. It's still, it's still a nice little... Throwaway thing out there. We had a Ballon d'Or winner at Brisbane Raw. I don't know how many people actually remember that fact, but it's it's not it's it's like my Roman Empire. Sometimes I just think about, hey, there was a girl that won the Ballon d'Or while she was at Brisbane Raw. Anyway, we're getting delirious. I think that's where we've got to end it. Uh, my name is Cody Ojeda. I've been your host today on the Front Page Dub Podcast. Um, if you have enjoyed it, leave us a five star rating on Spotify. If you didn't enjoy it, leave us a five star rating on Spotify. I promise you, you can't give us anything less because, well, just please don't. Don't try it. Um, be sure to follow the socials as well. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, threads, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Front Page Football or Front PG Football. I can't forget which one's which. I have been joined by Matt Olson. Matt, do you have anything you want to add before we finish? No, we're, we're all good, but um, everyone have a lovely uh, weekend of football again. And, uh, yeah, keep, keep watching keep watching football. Keep watching Dub. Keep watching football, keep watching dub. They are very, very beautiful words that I will take with me for life. That has been Front Page Dub. My name is Cody Ojeda. We will see you in a fortnight. <laughs>